are a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Putt with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Well, g'day everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. And it's so good to have you listening today, everybody. I hope you're all safe and well. And g'day to my co-host, the one and only Matt Crummins. I'm pretty excited. I've got to say episode four and already we've proven that the name fits the bill. Excellent podcast. I think so. <laughs> Well, you know, if you don't pump up your own tires, nobody else will, hey? This is very true. We've had some great feedback and some great reviews. And thanks to everybody who's been listening. And and really, your messages uh, mean the world to us. We've had some great um, feedback where people have been saying, I listened and I enjoyed the banter and I actually learned something as well, Matt. So that's unusual, isn't it? They're very weird. All of our rumblings or rabble or whatever you want to call it so it's you know what's funny though i think with this podcast what i really enjoy is things that we probably take for granted talking about all the time like things that we just you know i would just generally talk to people about um obviously these are conversations that people are not not actually having because we're people listening going yeah i learned something i'm thinking oh but we talk about this all the time so i'm that there's something in that there's almost like a like a little sort of uh like catch cry that you could use there where Matt and Tom having those conversations that others aren't having. Yeah, like tough you know conversations. I mean? No, it's not like <laughs> tough, tough conversations. We bring the tough topics to the fore. That's to, it. In order to, you know, bring them out into the open and make sure that they get, they get you know, thrashed out, I should say. Well, I think today we are hitting what I'm going to say might be a sensitive topic to some people because, oh. you know, there's nothing worse than doing something, um, yes. buying something <laughs> perhaps, and then being told right. immediately that that was a waste of money. Um, no one wants to be told that they made a bad decision, but I think today I'm going to break some hearts. Oh, you're terrible, Muriel. Mm. And what what is that topic around? Please tell me. So we're going to be talking about the gadgets and gizmos that we buy, whether it's, you know, from a shop or from like, you know, Facebook, you know, those Facebook magic ad oh, things that come up. Um, how often do I get sucked into those? Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> that one's great. Yeah, I actually don't <laughs> need one of those, but I should really buy it. So I was just telling you before, Tom, the, my, the, where this all comes from, I actually bought, um, this is going back a couple of years ago. I thought I was being very clever. I bought myself a remote release trigger thing and I bought the radio one. So I was like, cool, Ooh, yes. I don't have wires. You know, very exciting. No. Yeah, no cords. Um, yeah, it's yeah. also, Super it's dangerous, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a tripping hazard. <laughs> Um, oh, yes, this but is it. They the, are. the reason I bought it was because I saw that it had a built-in lightning detector and I thought that was the balls. Hold on, are we talking lying detector or a lightning detector? No, well, <laughs> it's a lightning detector, but I was I lying to myself that, right. I, that, that okay. I was going to use it. I've never touched it. Well, 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 let me explain something to you, Matt. That, that we live in Melbourne and, and I think we get one or two thunderstorms a year that would perhaps require using one of those things. So... Yeah, I can understand why that little gadget in your camera bag probably hasn't seen much use. But I reckon everyone has a few of those. And I want to hear today or have a, a let's battle through some of these things that end up in people's camera bags that both you and I, when we see them on a workshop, we just sigh and go, okay. Oh, I'm to have to bring out a few examples of our own though, because that's going to be really condescending otherwise. Yeah, I, I mean, like, for example, well, I, I remember years ago, I got given one of those like NASA silver pens. Oh, the and ones that can stays, write underwater? Exactly, exactly. Oh. I can write upside down, underwater, whatever, and it stays in my camera bag because I swear that when I need a pen and I might be in a rainforest and I need to 
write something down or scribble it on my hand, I can use that pen. I don't know that I've used that pen more than once. I also don't, I don't know that it would have been any different to using just a pen. <laughs> or as they found out, well, rather than inventing this pen, why don't we just give them pencils and that yeah. would work just as effectively. Well, yeah, okay. We, we on, use those underwater that. all the time. And the best thing about using a pencil when you're diving is that you can erase it and use the same piece of you know slate again. Whereas, uh, yeah, this the, is it. the old pen underwater is great, but the, the paper doesn't last very long. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm, funny about that. Right. Okay. So, um, look, there are a couple of things that obviously people end up buying and they make a little bit of a mistake at the start. I remember years ago, I was into bird watching and my parents bought me a beautiful telescope to bird watch with, but they bought me the world's crappiest tripod. And, you know, the thought was there, but you know, the plastic fantastics. Oh, yeah. That, I'm sure, I'm sure you get a, quite a few, perhaps, Matt, to your uh, workshops uh, and I do to mine. And that's probably the first thing that I say. You know that? that you, you're probably gonna, you, you might use that today, but after today, you're never going to see it again. No, and you know what? I, I, the thing I love about that is, you know those memes that say, like, you only had one job? A, tri- <laughs> a tripod's only job is to stand still. It's, it's yes. like, it's... It, yeah, and if you've yeah, got a if you've got a tripod, you can't even do that. No, if it's got like the old sort of you know, was it the crazy arms advertising man flailing around in the wind? <laughs> um, it's probably not doing its job, and I feel as though that is an example where because even a cheap crap tripod, like I, if you look at a, a plastic fantastic, they're actually from JB Hi-Fi. They're about a hundred bucks. They're oh, not. It's not like they're twenty dollars, and you went, oh, whatever. I just got yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I threw it. They threw it in. I bought the camera, and they gave me the tripod. That's yeah. the only justification I could have for somebody using one of those. Yeah, they threw it in. If you haven't paid for it, I can understand. But if you've paid something for it, it's just the first mistake. You know how they have those handles on the sides that you use to take the center column up and down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> they snap off after about the first wind. Yeah, the wind up. Yep. And especially when you forget to unloosen the screw and you're just battling this thing, you just hear it crunching. Never yeah. go high enough and you sort of go, right, everybody, let's get our cameras out and put them on the tripods. And then you look around a Stop couple it. of minutes later and you see somebody fiddling around with it and you go, uh, are you okay? Do you need to hand me that? And they go, yeah, I, I've actually never used this tripod before. And I, yeah. okay, yes, I clearly, yep. clearly. I know. I, know. <laughs> I feel like we're being real bitchy today, but. You know, we try. We are. We do mean well, don't we, Matt? We do because well, this is the this is the problem. I don't know. You're actually upsetting me now. We can't talk about this anymore. <laughs> but so I've got two 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 things here. Firstly, um, there's those ultra cheaps, which really upset me. And I would say that if you're going to go down the path of an ultra cheap, you know what? I think you're better off doing almost. You know the Gorilla Pods. You know, like the bendy yes. flexi ones. Yes, I would rather you go and buy a really solid like. It's probably still going to cost you $100, $120. And you're going to go, why is this small, tiny thing $120? Because it's great quality. If you get it, yes. and then you, if you want the extra height, go and put it on a rock or a bench. <laughs> that is way wrap, more useful. Wrap than, it around a pole. Shimmy yeah. halfway up a light pole yep. and wrap it around that. Exactly. Yeah. So that okay. to me is one option. But now I want to ask the other end of this question because I'm not sure whether we might differ in our opinions here. Mm. How much did you pay for your tripod? Uh, my latest tripod, I paid. Uh, it was on special. It's it was under six hundred dollars carbon fiber, oh. and yet now it costs closer to eight hundred. I did get it at a very good price. Cool, a very good special. I got about two hundred bucks off. But having said that, I remember the first tripod I bought, Matt, was at Michael's Camera Store in Melbourne. Everyone knows Michael's Camera Store there, 
and I remember spending about 150 bucks, and this would have been when I was about 15, so 30 years ago. Well, that was probably like, that's the equivalent of like $3,000 these days. It's a lot. And it lasted me for years. It was Manfrotto, and it had one of those beautiful fluid video heads on it, and it was fantastic, but I tell you what, it weighed a ton. Is this the silver? This one's not silver, is it? No, it was black. Okay. You know, black is best. You I, know. I bought a black. You can never go back. Yeah, I bought a silver one. The same sort of thing. The fluid head video. Right. One, the same. Probably not the same. I was probably fifteen, which means that <laughs> you. you know, it, it was <laughs> I was. I was forty. Yeah, still only the other day. Um, yes, I know. But that's that's still in my cupboard. It still survives everything. What really? I, what I did then is I made this, um, you know, foolish, somewhat foolish move. I actually went and bought myself like a top end gitzo. Like I, well, must be four years tripod. ago. They are really good tripods, but it cost me yeah. nearly two thousand dollars, I think. Jesus. Um, and you guess what? It stands roughly as still as my other tripod. Right. So why did you buy it? Because I thought that somehow it was going to change everything. <laughs> and it didn't. This is just like at all. just like every other piece of camera equipment that you buy, and yeah. you think to yourself, "This is going to propel me into the stratosphere." This is when I become known. This is when move over Ken Duncan, Peter Leake. I am the world's greatest landscape photographer yep. because I own this gadget. I, you know what? <laughs> to be honest, I reckon taking photos of the Gitzo tripod is probably <laughs> going to be more popular than what it actually right. produces. It stands still. Don't get me wrong. It's a great tripod. The, the thing I'd say about it is that when I'm looking at a tripod, the only thing I care about, firstly, does it stand still? Does it go high enough? Um, yes. Also, I guess the last two ones is, am I going to have to carry it lots of places? Most of the time, I'm pretty lazy, so I don't hike that far. So even if it weighs yeah. a bit, it doesn't matter. And then yeah. I think to me, if you have a ball head, it has to be a good ball head. Yeah. And that, not too many of those, you know, bits and bobs to move around, oh, you know? Yeah, like one there's just... Nothing, oh, there's yeah. nothing worse than like, does this lever do that? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, inevitably, it's the last lever that yeah. you test out is the one you needed to do first. Or you screw that one lever and then the whole thing just falls on the ground. You know, like, <laughs> that. oh, that was the emergency eject lever. And oh, just... <laughs> oh, my God. Don't tell me. Look, I've got this story where not that... Long ago, we had this guy come on a workshop and he had the Nikon mirrorless with a Tamron lens that went from, you know, zero to 5,000 mil. And I called them all over at the start of the workshop to teach them about histograms. And this gust of wind caught his tripod and flipped it over the seawall and it all went in the drink. Ooh. And, he, and he wasn't covered by insurance. Ooh. But and, I mean, of course, that would have been your fault, wouldn't it? So, oh, well, this is what <laughs> this is what almost happened. It was kind of like I rang my insurance guy, and can we kind of like sort of blame that on me so that we can claim it on my insurance? And he's like, "Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, we're not doing that. Yeah, probably nah, not the greatest nah, idea. And no, more no, importantly, no. probably not the greatest we're idea to, to talk about fraud. an insurance fraud." On, um, <laughs> Exactly. Podcast, you know? Let's just cut this bit out, Matt, if you can. Look, if you've just joined us, welcome to the next episode. Yeah. If oh, you're, yeah, if you're yeah. investigating, Tom, um, just uh, fast, fast forward. <laughs> Did not do that, I promise you. But, um, you know, it was heartbreaking. And it was just because he had this really lightweight plastic tripod with this camera and lens on it that was far too top heavy. And as soon as the wind got underneath it, it just flipped it like a. I just I saw it happen, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" And you know, it all happens so quickly that you can't do anything about it. I always refer so, to those as giraffes with refrigerators on their head. <laughs> you know, when people put the neck of the tripod right up with this really big, uh, big nah. camera, and you just look at it, nah. and you can see the whole thing. It, it's it, it looks yeah. happy, but it's sort of swaying a little bit, and you know that at some point it's just going <laughs> to all come crashing down. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, on that note, do you actually sell tripods, Matt? Because I do. And so I always say to people, look, if you need a new tripod, come to me and uh, and I'll I'll give you one. I'll sell you one that it's actually going to last you 10 years because that's my belief that if you invest in a good tripod, which should be something in the order of probably four to $800, that that's going to last you 10 years. And so that's a good investment, don't you think? Absolutely. I certainly do sell them. I actually sell them for ah. about 5% cheaper than Tom. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you go over to mattcrummensphotography.com <laughs> forward slash podcast, I'll give you a special price on that one. And if you just haggle between us, you'll get the best price. This is like um, this is like the, the COVID version of walking up and down Elizabeth Street trying to bargain everyone. So, no, um, I th- I, look, I, I do sell tripods, but I think you're right. If you buy a good one and you spend the right money on it, it's, it's actually going to last you a hell of a long time. And more importantly, you won't get frustrated with it. Take out the quality yeah. aspect. I yeah. think that where people, a tripod doesn't last is not always that it falls apart. A lot of the time, it's just that it's so frustrating because it's got too many knobs and levers or special features when a tripod, all it needs, decent ball head, enough height, whatever weight you need, sure, um, but, but it needs to stand still. And if it does all those things and it does them easily, it'll last forever. Yeah, 100%. So- I think I, I used to have an article on my website that I must pop back up there or I've got an ebook or something else around... The, the things to look out for when you're choosing a tripod because there are four or five things probably just everything you've mentioned there matt that yeah. just keep that in mind when you uh, come to purchase a tripod and you won't make that uh, that fateful mistake so i have another one to do with exactly what we're talking about not tripod related right but you said earlier that if it came for free with your camera it's probably not worth having go on um all right so i've, I've told this story to my student group many times because it only happened last year um you know those beautiful 150 to 600 mil um, Tamron G2 lenses, beautiful tele yes. lenses. They're like yeah, under right. two grand. I think that's, I think that's what the, the the guy, the Nikon guy, had oh, there you go. into the drink. In, yeah, yeah, insane yeah. value for what they are. Right. They're amazing lenses for what they are. Right. So, yeah. um, I was out with um with Billy um at the Western Treatment Plant. We were doing some bird photography, just like casually. It was before we went on the Indonesia trip, so we just would go but out to take the Werribee Poo Farm. Yes, yes, right, okay. basically, yeah. So amazing Lucky birding you. location. Um, it is. But uh, he just bought this brand new lens. We were going to Indonesia um, as our little group trip to do the wildlife um, over there, and so I said, let's just go out for some fun, take some shots, test out your new lens. Anyway. He's taking these shots and he goes, he's on a D750, so a really nice camera, um, really nice lens. And he goes, Matt, this this, it, this lens is just pretty crap. I was going to say something else. It wasn't great at all. <laughs> it was like, he's like, this is terrible. And I'm like, okay, this is weird because it's a great lens. I know it's a great lens, so you're being yeah. fussy. I yeah. picked it up. I took a couple of shots and I was like, yeah, no, you're right. There's something not right about this. Um, anyway, we started walking back to the car. I kept testing it and testing it and testing it. And, and I'm thinking... It must just be early. Maybe I'm making a mistake as well. Like I had a slow shutter or something, but no. Anyway, looked at it and I said, look, actually, mate, I think you've got a lemon. I think you've actually bought a, a, a bad lens. And that happens. Mm. Like it's possible. It it's happen. unlikely, but it does happen. Yes, it does actually happen. Because And the reason being is because these companies churn out that many lenses every year that sometimes there's just this particular fault with one. And so if you do get a lemon, make sure you take it back and and get it checked out but go on well i said to him i said you should take it back and he's, yeah. we're just getting back into the car and then he turns out he goes should i take the filter back as well and i said what uh, wh- hold on what what filter and he right. said oh the filter that it came with they they gave me they said he said i was going to buy it from this this one shop but then the other shop said they'd throw in a free filter 
Right. And it was just a UV filter. Like it wasn't even yeah. UV to be honest. It was protective sort of, I guess. Right. Um, and right. uh, so I did a test with him, took the photo with and without the filter. Um, we actually mm-hmm. recorded a little video on it. I might post it up in the group. Um, but the filter, after doing a really quick Google, was worth $6. <laughs> and it was thrown so, into a $2,000 lens. And it destroyed the sharpness. Like it wasn't even like really? unsharp. It was actually blurry. Um, and I looked at it and there was actually in the filter, you could see like little concentric circles um, oh. of, I don't know whether it was being polished or something, but anyway, it had destroyed it. We took the filter off and the lens was perfect. Oh my God. I've never heard of that happening before. Oh really? Because generally speaking, you spend, oh, you buy any sort of filter and it tends to be okay, you know, like a UV type thing or any of those filters that then I used to be generally... convinced of that. And then this happened. And oh. when I put the video up on our Facebook group, I had at least four people come with the same problem no. within a month. You see, this is why people are listening to this podcast, Matt. Yeah. The value you've just added in the first 16 minutes is 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 worth people's life. I mean, really. Yep. They should be throwing money at us by now. Practically. I'll just put, <laughs> put my hat down. I feel like, um, I'm, I feel like a, I'm a gigolo on a stage in, 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 in town and, and that, that, you know, I've just dipped my hat and people are just throwing money into it. Dance monkey. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So the filter option, so, don't shoot, don't buy shitty filters, don't fall for the, the free filter trap. Well, my question really, I guess, is so that's, that's the problem is, so to realistically to buy a filter, and this was, came back from my Olympus days, to buy a filter that matches as the quality of your lens should be roughly 15% of the cost of that lens to be All worthwhile. Right, so that's, that's kind of the rule of thumb. So if you buy a $2,000 filter, $2,000 lens, you're looking at a two to $300 filter to, to, to match the quality. Right. Wow. That's a lot. I don't think I've, I have spent close to $300 on a filter once and it was a special order from B&H that took about eight weeks to get to me and I was an 82 mil um, B and W, ND six filter six dot filter. Yeah, right. Yeah, they they didn't either have it in stock or the eighty two mil was too big for that time. I think these days there's a lot more eighty two mil uh, lenses yeah. out there, but back then it was special order. It took forever. I think it cost me about two hundred eighty five bucks. And so this is my question: is that one of the gadgets I'm going to say, and I call it gadgets in, in people's kits? There's two parts to this: the filters. You go UV filters is one. I don't know whether you believe in them. Um, I'm, yeah, I I'm do. I do, and I believe them. I believe in them more just for protectiveness. Yeah, see, I don't believe in blocking out the UV and it makes your picture sharp. No, no. I just believe in it to say, hey, if you're not going to put a lens hood on that lens, make sure you've got a filter on because if you scratch the front element of that lens, that's going to cost a lot more than a hundred dollar filter. Well, see, this is where I get. I, I guess I'm sort of nervous about it, right? Because I think about what an insurance policy costs. So if, yes. if, for instance, I've got a $1,000 lens, right, yep. and I want to match the quality, because I have, and unfortunately, I've now seen this quality issue a few times, and it, now it makes me nervous. I'm sure you can buy cheaper filters that will still do the job, but until you buy it and test it, I kind of get nervous that, well, how do you know? So yep. if you say, if I said even like on a conservative 10% of the cost of the lens, right, I'm yep. paying $100 yes. to protect a $1,000 lens from right. my incompetence. Now, that's actually probably a bargain because I'm not that competent when it comes to doing things like this. But, but for most people, if you start spending hundreds of dollars, you know, if you've got five lenses and you've spent $500 yeah. plus on, on filters, oh, I just sort of wonder whether... Five like, lenses. Judge you, Matt, because you're loaded. 
Yeah, well, you know, I, just, I, was, <laughs> I was going to just pull them out of my um, my bank vault. Yes, okay, um, exactly. No, but no, like, but does, it, does that make sense? I mean, I just, yeah, I, I wonder whether. Don't bother at all. Just make know. sure you keep your lens on your camera. Yeah, just don't smash it with stuff. It. And it also, I will say, stop cleaning that stupid lens. Leave it alone. It doesn't need cleaning every three seconds. Every time you put a cloth and oil and not what is it the, the liquid on there you're, yeah. you're helping to rub that coating off so just right. ease up on the cleaning yes be careful with it a little bit and use that money for something else right like going on a matt crumman's workshop well if i'm ever allowed to run them again yes <laughs> somebody just sent me somebody just sent me a, a link on messenger and she's in the travel industry so like her work's dried up here as well right and uh, for those listening to this well after COVID, we're in the middle of stage, we're not even in the middle, we're at the start of stage four lockdown. It's This has been recorded in August 2020, right? So we're in a world of pain. We can't even go out and take photographs. You'll get, you'll get fined. And so she sent me this link that says that Northern Territory aren't going to open their borders until at least 2022. Yeah, I saw that. What a joke. And not probably so going to happen like, at all. I'm just seeing my, my business that I've taken 15 years to build, just get flushed down the toilet overnight. Mm. It's like, all right, so even when we're allowed to run workshops, we won't be running them outside Victoria. Like how many of those can I run in a year? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that that, I read that as well. My business model is different to yours. Go on. No, this is true, but I read that article as well. And I I just, this is like current commentary, totally off topic. But what people are forgetting is that there's always a caveat around that comment. It's not going to be open until 2023. No international travel until here. At the same time, they're touting the fact that they are very hopeful there's going to be a vaccine by Christmas. And I go, I don't think the Northern Territory is going to say, oh, well, now that there's a vaccine and this is, problem's gone away, we're just going to stay closed. They've got as much yeah. of an incentive to stay open as everyone else. I think everyone's just saying, look, if there's not a vaccine, if there's not a solution, this could drag out. I, I think it's a bit of, not a scaremongering, but I think it's about um, managing people's expectations that something's changing next month. I don't yes. think it's possibly going to be. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I'm, I think we're on the same page in that I looked at that and went, right, okay, that that seems like a fair shot across the bow. Mm. A lot can change in the next, you know, eighteen months. That's it. We that's it. When you, you know, vaccine and everyone's, you know, being jabbed and off we go. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Anyway, um, so filters, uh, that's one that hits the bag for me. I use polarizing filters all the time. Right. I use ND filters. Why, why do you use polarizing filters all the time? Because I get asked this a lot. What filters should I bring? Mm. And I only carry an ND six stop and a polarizing filter. And the only time I use my polarizers is when I'm generally in a rainforest and it's wet and I want to saturate the color in the foliage. Occasionally I use it to take some reflections off some water. But you sound like you use it a hell of a lot more than I do. Well, yeah, I do. I use it all the okay. time. I love them. Tell me. Yeah. Divulge your secrets here, Matt. Um, I've offered true value to the, the listenership. Well, I use my polarizing filter quite a lot um, to help control the three-dimensional nature of pictures. So, um, <laughs> I'm so yep. on over my head already. Super technical here. No, um, I need to have wine. Hold just, on a sec. I'm just trying to make Hold this on a sec, Matt. Let me just fill my glass and, and get comfortable <laughs> for the next five minutes because I think this is going in, into places that I'm not going to understand. No, well, when you think about like rocks and things like that, yeah. Um, yes, and, I've got them and, in my and, head. And, yep, um, yep. Those reflections, um, they they create that three dimensional feel. I mean, if you have if you have oh. wetness on rocks, it creates that yes. particular highlight, which is that sort of three D yes. kind of pop. 
gives it texture, you know? It does yeah. give it texture. So equally, right. um, having a bit of, like, I'm not saying you want to remove it all the time, but sometimes to prevent really big blowouts in dark environments. So I find, you know, especially down at like Cape Shank when you've got those really, really dark, dark rocks um, sort of you out know. the pulpit, yes. um, yep. you can end up with a really quite a dramatic dynamic range in that shot. And so using right. the polarizer, well, I use my polarizer just to help manage pulling those reflections off the rocks back a little bit so it doesn't blow out. Um, rather than just underexposing and then potentially losing something else. Um, right. I use it with wildlife actually quite a lot because it takes really? that little bit of shine off um, hair, fur and feathers. Right. So um, especially if you're doing um, uh, birds that have like that iridescence in their wings. Yes, that'll bring out the colour. Yeah, remove that a little bit. Um, yeah. I love my black and white and it helps to crush down the blues in sky. Um, right. Yeah, a few things like that. I, I use them quite frequently. Um, okay. Yeah. Can people see examples of these on your website, Matthew? I guess if you just look at my photos, you can probably guarantee <laughs> that I've used a polarizer. Marvel at my, my artistry and you'll be able to see them. Yeah, just don't click on see the landscape them. gallery. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can flick you a few of mine yeah, if you like. but you. I, that probably Let's do that. Probably won't help. All right, that's interesting to know with the yeah. polarizer. You don't worry about losing those two stops of light when it's fully polarized? No, not really. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't tend to shoot in a lot of dark environments. I'm also yeah. not very, um, I guess the types of shots that I tend to take, I don't get too worried about ISO either, to be honest. Really? Mm. So you don't you don't keep one eye on the ISO all the time? You're not worried about going too high? No. Okay. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> is that because it's you like nice noise and grain in your photos? It or? Just, just sounds too hard. Um <laughs> Okay, so Matt's got his his camera set to P everybody, and that's not P for professional, that's P for program yeah, mode. Slightly for the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's just like, why are these pictures blurry? Oh, that's right. I was shooting a one-sixth of a second. Why was he doing that? Exactly. No, I, I, my, my view on ISO, um, I think it is maybe not shared with everybody, obviously. Um, Here we go. And this, this is a way, is controversial. totally different topic. But I'll give you, you should be warning people already. This is a controversial comment coming up. People, do right. your own research first. I'll give you. Thir- I'll you give you. It. I'll give you my thirty-second spiel on it. On. All right. So your time ISO- starts now. Okay. So when it comes to ISO, oh, I've got to get so much in. Um, when it comes to ISO, the the better your camera is, the better the performance of ISO. The better your lens is, the less you need to worry about ISO because you can shoot on it, say like an f two point eight versus an f eight. Yeah. The two things that expensive cameras and expensive lenses have in common is that they're expensive. (laughs) And so, as an example, let's just say that we were shooting some Astro together, and you brought out your amazing Pentax, you know, six four five in format digital. That one. Yep, you brought that out, and I brought out my D thirty four hundred, which cost me like six hundred bucks, and you said, Matt. These are the settings you should use in Astro. So I put it on those settings. We shot the exact same settings. So from a photographer perspective, we made the same correct judgment calls. And then we compared photos afterwards. And mine looked like sandpaper. And yours looked amazing. Is that really a reflection on the photographer or the equipment? Because in that case, I can't help but say that we're really comparing how much money people spent on their gear. Then Let's put it down to the photographer. So I don't know that I like ISO that much. I mean, if you made bad, bad decisions and said, I shot 6,400 ISO in that portrait because 
the shutter speed looks super cool. Well, that's not really a good reason, but I think a lot of the time ISO limitations, it's not people making bad decisions. It's actually limitations on gear because they don't want to spend $20,000. Yeah. I say this, this is, this is almost um, uh, coming down to that. Oh, I've just lost my train of thought. I was on a roll too. Um, it, it's coming down to that debate regarding, you know, our obsession with say sharpness as well, isn't it? Totally. You know, like yeah. we're all obsessed with sharpness and what I, what I'm hearing in what you just said is we get obsessed with ISO and whether or not that's making a huge difference to the quality of our photographs. Of course, in some instances, like you've just said, it would, but in most of the time, it's not going to matter. No. So when it comes to a polarizer losing two stops of light, Yep. Yeah, sure. That might mean my ISO is up a little bit higher or my shutter is a little bit slower, but you know, that might be in a very manageable range anyway. Yeah. Um, but the second part is I can't replicate what a polarizer does in no, my edit, in but I can ever so slightly reduce the grain. So yes. if I look at the pros and cons of what's possible to me, yep. the polarizer has a, an overall positive impact um, generally Great. anyway, um, whereas the ISO, well, you know, take it or leave it. Very analytical like that. What did you study at, at uni? Did you did you go to university oh, after school? Oh, do you want to hear a bit of a funny joke? Well, we probably don't have time to hold the whole story, but I went to university for six months and studied right. 3D animation. Right. Decided that it was a crap uni and I didn't want to go there anymore, so I left, went into the workforce and yeah. um, then had an, an, an opportunity come up again to go to uni and I was like, cool, but it was like the day before the, um, you know, you, you have got to put your preferences in. Yes. And so I was furiously flicking through the manual going like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I found one. It was called project management. And I'm like, oh, I, I was working in the digital media space. So doing like video production and stuff and events and things. I'm like, I do project management all the time. That sounds like a great one. I signed up for it without reading anything. I turned up and it was construction project management. Oh, right. so I of went, I did another six months. I learned how to draw houses at a 45 degree angle. And um, then I realized that, well, actually the longer I do this, the more time I've wasted, so I walked away. All right, okay. So that's how analytical I am. <laughs> well, you do have a very, you do have a very sort of uh, analytical mind. You're always weighing things up, pros and cons. I've just made a lot of mistakes, Tom. Thinker, man. No, that's what I like about you. I've made a lot of mistakes in my photography. I self-taught, and I, I made a lot, a lot of mistakes. I've even made some mistakes that had massive consequences to the shoots. And, um, and you know what? It's, uh, I think it's. I think I'm better off for having done that. But anyway. Just on the ISO thing before yeah. we leave, I was at Lake Air a few years ago teaching, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago, uh, teaching an aerial photography workshop and a lady there had a beautiful Leica camera and she was just questioning the sharpness of some of the images and I took a look at them and I went, oh, that's because you're shooting on 1200 ISO. And she said, no, I've tested this camera. It doesn't really matter what ISO you have it on. It's still the same quality. And I went, you're shitting me, right? And she said, no. And I'm like, right, there's the future right there of photography. <laughs> doesn't matter what ISO you have it set to. We can shoot on whatever we want. How good is that going to be? Same quality. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Pretty, do you remember the Lightro camera that came out? many years ago now and it was like that um the the field what is it light field camera so you don't actually have to focus it you can focus it in post-production no i don't that was, that was before my dad. i'm a lot younger than you think i am <laughs> it freaked me out so much because they yeah. came out and it was like so it's it looks like a like a like a like a, a cube and you, yeah. you hit the button it's got no settings on it right so you just hit the button of course there's no aperture setting because it doesn't capture anything through the aperture yeah. it captures the yeah. light field or something and you oh. quite literally put it in the computer 
the, the file and you can refocus it later on. And I'm Ooh. thinking, oh, cameras are stuffed. Wow. Like this is just insane. And that didn't take off. Uh, that's a really good question. You can still buy them, um, but it's. Right. I don't think that they have because they're not like interchangeable lenses. I think they're a bit clunky. You know no one wants to have to focus it later. They're like, why don't you just get it Canada right? Um, bought the rights for that and said, we'll take that off the market. That'll kill our business. Well, I have seen recently that um, light field cameras, there's another one that's in development and it, it's actually from a much more serious player. So who knows? Oh, it's exciting where we're going with it all, isn't it? Mm, yeah, well. I was speaking to you the other day about shooting film and I went, yeah, that's right. I did used to shoot film. I've shot a lot of film. It made me sound so old. I've shot one roll of film in my life. See, that's how young you are. That you suck. I, I don't like you. You know how you don't know how much I suck. You should see that roll of film. <laughs> you know, funnily, and to pump up my own tires, the best roll of film I ever shot was my first roll of film. And I tell you because, and I remember some of the specific photos I took. It's because I had no idea what I was doing and I was just going on set and forget and using my eye to take the photograph and I actually got some quite nice shots there and I think as an overall 36 frames, I, I actually knew what I was doing and, and shot quite a decent role. So. Wow, that's the exact opposite experience that I had because I went out with, a, it was Olympus OM2 that was gifted to me and I thought, oh, this is going to be something that I'm going to really enjoy. It's just going to be therapeutic and everything. Stupidly, I did go out at night with it um had a great time and then i saw the photos afterwards and i realized that that great time wasn't going to last if i actually developed the film so yeah i thought i'm not i'm not doing this anymore i threw it not threw it away i gave up on that project instantly i do have a confession while we're 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 in that mode i have never even though i've shot a hell of a lot of film both through my landscape photography and my sports photography i've never set foot in a dark room wouldn't know one will look, what look what it looks like. We're not like a photography darkroom anyway. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Just creeping it's around in other types of darkrooms. Matt, but uh, that's for another another podcast. Yeah, that's yeah, the after the dark one. Podcast. <laughs> 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 one after twelve. One uh, after twelve. Yeah, yeah, that one that we haven't told anyone about. Uh, well, we're, yeah, we're, right. I, have, I, you, have you spent time in a dark room? Have, a photography dark room? I have stepped in one definitely, and right. then I was very, very quickly asked to leave. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, you're going to probably go on with some clothes on yeah. to begin with. Well, you know, yeah, I just saw a red light and it was dark and we got carried away. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. I feel sorry for all the people listening to this. Yeah. The female audience will turn on us. They'll go, this smut that these two boys are coming out with. It's terrible. <laughs> is there any other filters or is there any other gadgets that people have in these in these camera bags that they need to get rid of or at least think more wisely about? I'm going to say that there is one that is – this is a divisive one. Oh, again, here we go. We haven't alienated our, I know. Our, our listenership enough today already, but let's go. If you, I know I mentioned the lightning thing at the start, yeah. but it's all connected because if you have a remote shutter release, right. I think that you need to have a really good hard think about what it's supposed to achieve and therefore when you use it. I'm not saying don't have one, mm. but I think that the more you dress your tripod and camera up like a Christmas tree – the less likely you are to probably get the shot you're after. Gosh, I swear. Well, it's not you're though. So I see people do it all the time. They, they, we're, we're taking photos, maybe not even a long exposure shot. So if you're not doing long exposure, I also kind of debate whether you need a tripod. But yeah, if, you, if you're just doing, even if you put your tripod up, uh, I do a night workshop and, and quite frequently I see everyone getting their gear out at the start, which is great, getting set up. And I say straight up, I'm like, you probably don't need to plug that in tonight because we're doing long exposures. But 
for a start, I don't even use a remote. I don't even use the, the, the self timer. I just don't whack my camera's shutter button. I just kind of like roll my finger onto it and don't get any bumpiness. Um, wow. Never been a problem for me. I've never had an issue with it. Um, you know, unless you're really kind of whacking the button, you not. you shouldn't be moving the whole tripod. Um, no. But even if you are, two second timer kind of does the right thing, doesn't it? Off you go. Wow. You must have very smooth hands or very smooth skin. Oh, you, you have to moisturize before you go out <laughs> shooting, but. <laughs> right. right. There you go. Oh, my God. How come I brought it back to that smuttiness again? I know. It got weird really quick. Oh, yes. I must admit that um, the, the, I, I have a remote for my camera and it rarely comes out. It's when you've got to do more than 30 second exposure. That's ah, when I bring one. So, would that That's be it. a good example, though, of saying, well, why, what's the purpose of this thing? Well, you yeah. need to achieve your bold mode. Like, it's perfect for that. It's yep. awesome for that. Yeah. Because yep. those who don't know, you're generally limited to, to a 30 second exposure on any setting on your camera if you want to go beyond that because you've got an ND filter on that's uh, obviously making the exposure longer or you're out at night and you want to shoot for more than 30 seconds, uh, you've got to switch your camera to B for bulb and then you've got to use a remote because you, you can't just uh, press the button and expect the, the shutter st- to stay open without that remote control. And if you were to put your finger on the button so eloquently as Matt has suggested, uh, I would say over the course of 30 seconds or longer, if you left your finger on that button, you're going to shake the camera at some stage. It's going to ruin the shot. So Especially if it was a really good photo because you would be so you should be trembling with excitement and that would that would cause the shake as well. This is it. This is it, that nervous excitement, yep. I guess. Titillating. Titillating. Well, Matt, is there anything else that we need to discuss today or have we just uh, offended our, our readers or listeners enough? I think we've done that. I think I we've think probably we've done, done enough. But I don't, think, right. I don't think any of these things are bad to have. I just think that if, you, if you're going to pack your bag or if you're thinking about buying gadgets, my take is just stop and think, is this actually going to have an impact on my photo? And more importantly, is it going to impact my bank account to the point right. where it might impact what I can do with my camera? So, you know, we were... Awesome. Coming on a Matt or Tom workshop. That's the thing. Could I, be that. I, I get really annoyed when people rock up with the latest gear and yet they've, they've you know, and they haven't consulted with me first. It's incredibly <laughs> Because I say to them, well, if that stopped you from coming on a workshop with me, that's that's not on. Well, tell that's me not- this. If you, if you, let's, because aerial photography is an awesome category to talk about here very quickly. Here we go. Um, about spending loads of money. Well, yeah. So, like, if you want to waste, not waste, sorry. Ooh. What am I thinking? Oh. You want to spend a lot of money. No. Um, oh, pardon. No, thanks, mate. No, All but, right. No, but let's worry. just say that you were thinking about going and doing aerial shops and you thought, hey, I'm going to spend my money on buying a brand new whiz bang camera, which is going to cost me yes. three or $4,000. Yes. Then you buy it and realize that your passion for aerial photography sort of has to stop because you realize you can't afford the aeroplane. Or you suffer from severe motion sickness that you didn't realize up until that point. <laughs> but this is the thing, isn't it? Like you've got to work out where does, we've all got, it doesn't matter how, how loaded you are, you've, everyone's got a budget that they're going to work to, to some degree. And I think you need to be careful about finding things that look like a quick fix to a problem when in actual fact, they're probably just clutter and they may be distracting you from something else that's actually going to improve your photos. I tell you what, I, I know how everybody else listening to this podcast feels because for the first 20 odd years of my photography as a hobby and then as a career, I had gear envy like you wouldn't believe. I would buy, this is pre-internet everybody and I, I'm self-taught like Matt, I would have to go to the newsagents, buy a magazine, 
read the articles back to front, go out and practice, um, study like you wouldn't believe. But in the back of these magazines, they would have ads from B&H and Cambridge and Adorama and all those places. And I would highlight all of the stuff that I wanted to buy, the most expensive lenses, 600mm F4, you know, $20,000 lenses. And, and I just wanted everything, you know. And, of course, I think those were the days when they just the, every single camera they brought out was just new and, and whiz-bang and you wanted that one, you know. And it was never – the camera you had was never as good as what was out there on the market. And, uh, and for many, many years I obsessed over gear until I'm very happy with what I've got. And that's only been in the last five years that I've been able to say, do you know what? I don't need any more gear. I don't need to go and buy the latest and greatest. Even though I've, I'm well behind the eight ball now with my 50 megapixel Pentax 645Z medium format digital. Because <laughs> <laughs> they can now, you can now go and buy a, a Fuji mirrorless with yeah. 100 megapixels or a phase one, you know, with 200 megapixels or whatever and spend a shitload more money. But there does come a point where I don't know. Do you have you, Matt, reached the same point that I have, where you become less and less gear obsessed? I reckon I've gone. I reckon I went. I I hit that hill, the top of that hill, uh, probably uh, two years ago. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. Where I bought, um, I bought my D810 and then D850, and that kind of the D850 kind of yeah. ticked all the boxes that I needed it to tick. Um, yeah. I bought my brand new um, wildlife lens last year. Um, but you know what I did when I bought that lens? I actually started selling off a bunch of my other lenses because I realized that I, you know, I bought all the Sigma Prime. So I had all the art series, like it was what the 20 mil, the was it 20, 24, 35 and 50 and 85 1.4s. And I was using them at the time for, you know, a bit of corporate, a bit of wedding and stuff like that. And I was super excited about them. They're so great. I, these days, 24 to 70, 70 to 200 plus my wildlife lens. That's pretty That's much all that comes out of my bag. And when I'm doing landscapey sort of, you know, seascapey stuff, I've got a 16 to 35. But I actually get a lot of joy out of having a bag that's got like two lenses in it when I go out now. If I've got yeah. more than that and more than a couple of filters that I needed, um, I actually get frustrated at it. So, yeah, I definitely... Me too. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, I actually get more joy out of getting rid of equipment these days than acquiring it. So, wow. um, yeah, I've definitely hit I that think- point. I think that that brings up an interesting point, just like we said earlier regarding tripods. If you invest in good lenses to begin with, mm. I, I when I got my sports photography job back in 1998, I had to buy all new gear because the stuff I had was just amateur and this was my first professional job. And the company I worked for had Nikon gear and were willing to loan that to me as part of the job, but I was a Canon boy. So I had to go and get $20,000 loan from the bank and I walked down the street with this $20,000 check and stared at it for the five minutes from the bank to the, to the <laughs> camera store and walked in and bought a 16 to 35, a 70 to 200, 2.8, a 400 mil 2.8 and a camera body and it all came to 20 grand and I walked out there like, you know, kidney candy shop that, and that was like 10 times what my car was worth <laughs> and and those lenses, I mean, I only sold that Canon 7200 five years ago, so it was 15 years old. Yeah. And it lasted me that long. And this is the thing. The it's- you know, sold that off, but that lasted me 10 years. 
and so that, that the lens technology doesn't change the, all that much in order for you to need to upgrade them as much as you would a camera. No, and I think that's where you kind of got to weigh up that cost as well. It's like if I'm spending, if you end up this year, if you just are getting bored in ISO and jumping on the internet and just internet shopping for gadgetry, um, I reckon that if you if you added all that up and it came to a few hundred dollars, that might eventually be the difference between getting the really good quality version of a lens and getting maybe you know two point eight version versus the f four version, and yeah. and I think that long run. You've been way better off having that 2.8 version than having an f4 with you know a bunch of gizmos that you know they might come out every now and then but they're not going to last the test of time like your lens will right well on that note i think that's a perfect way to finish the podcast matt thanks for your time today it's been great to catch up with you as always and for everybody listening today jump on the facebook group and tell us what you learned best out of listening to the podcast today what did you learn from listening to our 45-minute ramble that you're going to uh, take away from this podcast. We'd love to know, so jump on the Facebook page there. We look forward to seeing you over there. And till next time, Matt, take care, look after yourselves, and catch you next time. Bye.